0: Hello, and thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel, a podcast where we shatter the glass ceiling for women in law. I'm your host, Stephanie Watchman, and I've been coaching and training women attorneys all over the world for nearly a decade. Women lawyers, no matter where they are in their careers, face many challenges, frustrations, and some fantastic opportunities. On this podcast, I'll be interviewing experts to cover many of the issues I get asked about, like managing stress, career growth, law firm leadership, self-confidence, business development, and even planning for retirement my goal is to provide you with the tools and tips you need for your own professional growth and now let's get on with the show today we have a very special guest welcome again to her gavel i'm thrilled to be able to speak with erica bullock jones today i've met erica oh gosh about four years ago and have worked with her on a number of occasions, and just think she has such a wealth of knowledge to bring to the industry, especially in relation to training. Erica got her uh, Juris Doctorate from the University of California at Berkeley, and she began her career as a corporate attorney in Washington, D.C., specializing in antitrust issues and international corporate transactions. In 2016, Erica joined the Denver-based firm where she was Program Administrator of Training, and she co-created and managed a firm-wide training program for over 450 attorneys. That's actually how we met. She recently joined Sherman and Howard in a new position of program manager for human resources, learning and development here in Colorado. And she's got a lot on her plate. So I do appreciate that she gave some time to us. Welcome to the show, Erica.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. As uh, as I was talking about in when I was doing your intro, we've known each other for a while now. And I just thought you'd be such a great contributor to the podcast, just because so many of the women I talk to who practice they are always thinking about, you know, this is what it took me to get from law school into practice. And now I don't know what I want to do. Like, do I have to become like a partner? Do I have to do that? Do I have to always be billing? And they don't really always give thought to, well, what can come next? Your, your career can be anything you wanted to be as an attorney. So I'm curious to know about how you went from going on that partner track and working in a practice to going into training.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I went into private practice, not planning to become a partner in the firm. I didn't want the lifestyle of a partner in a big firm. I didn't want to work that many hours. I didn't want to be beholden to, uh, to such a demanding taskmaster. So um, honestly, I wanted to pay off my student loans, <laughs> which I didn't do, um, but I paid off my husband's student loans. <laughs> well, that, that was nice of you.
0: That's a powerful woman right there. Exactly. That's a powerful woman right there.
1: Right? Exactly. Um, woman right there. Um, and after four years in private practice, I just found it to be too draining. It was um, probably 60 hours a week on the regular. I would come in early. I'd rather work early than late. So I would go Mm -hmm. into the office 4am, 5am sometimes, um, and then leave at six or seven on a typical day. Um, Later, if there was something we needed to get out, you know, if the partner um, had something particular that that they wanted me to work on. Um, And at least two weekends a month for some portion of the weekend. And it was just killing me. So uh, my husband and I, decided to move back to California. Um, so I just quit. I didn't have a set plan. (laughs) I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. Um, that's kind of bold and brave. Well, it, you know, if you have a husband, you know, who's, who's working full time, that gives you some measure of security. Um, and so I went struck out on my own for a short time. Um, I was a personal chef, um, I Wait a second, went... you
0: did not tell me that you were a personal <laughs> I knew you liked to cook, but you never yes. mentioned personal chef. Yes,
1: I was a personal chef for about two years. Um, and I actually was personal chef for a short time to Academy Award winning uh, actor, Gina Davis. Um, (laughs) Hold the phone. I've known you for four years and you told me you like to cook, but that
0: never came up.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was great. She was (laughs) she was pregnant with her twins um, at the time, and um, she was, you know, a great person to work with. Uh, I probably cooked for her, you know, a dozen times or so. Um, And then I got pregnant, (laughs) so I stopped uh, doing my personal chef business. And because I had some pregnancy complications, so I stayed home, um, had my twins. She had twins. I had twins. (laughs) Uh, And then I was off work for about two years. um, And then when the kids started uh, preschool part-time, I went back to work part-time. And I knew that I wanted to do something in the instructional, educational area. Um, so how did you
0: know that though? Like what, 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 what came to you? Like that light bulb moment that said, Oh yeah, I'll do that. I mean,
1: well, I always like teaching. I always like imparting knowledge and information. Let's be honest. I'm a, I'm a control freak. So, you know, This I know already.
0: I didn't know about the chef stuff.
1: Okay. Yeah. So So the idea of, of, uh, having a captive audience of 30 people every day for a set amount of time was appealing. but I've, I've always liked teaching. Um, So I taught part-time at ITT Tech for a while. Mm -hmm. I taught writing. I taught some law enforcement classes since I had my law degree. Um, I even taught statistics. I don't know how I got roped into that, Um, (laughs) but I did it. Uh, And then we, my family decided to relocate to Denver. Um, And so when we came here to Denver, I taught at Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. I taught uh, some writing classes. Uh, I taught some business classes. And I also taught a really fascinating uh, class at uh, the Women's College at DU. I taught um, multiple murders and women, which was a female serial killers class, which was really fascinating. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I had some nightmares after teaching that class. I don't blame you for that, (laughs) But it was fascinating. Um, And then I got the opportunity to get a full-time position at Arapahoe Community College, um, running their uh, workforce training um, department within their community education group. I did that for about five years. And that entailed um, planning classes, writing some curriculum, uh, setting basically the agenda for the department, hiring instructors, deciding which classes to teach, that's right thing. I also ran a, a grant program for my region um, for the state um, and um, built that up to about 1.2 1.3 million dollars a year in training grant funds for local companies. Um, <clears throat> and then in 2000, um, 16, um, the opportunity at Holland and Hart came about. Um, and so I moved over to Holland and Hart, which is a regional law firm headquartered here in Denver. Um, there's about 425 lawyers or so in the firm in probably 11 offices around the mountain, uh, Rocky Mountain region. And so for them, I did all of their business development training for the attorneys. Um, and that entailed, Between five and eight trainings per month, um, which is how you and I met. That's Um, right. I was researching speakers uh, for the program, and um, I think I found your profile on LinkedIn. I think that's how. It's possible. um, Yeah. Possible. (laughs) And we met up, and um, I was immediately taken with your um, your approach and your professionalism, and We've worked together probably, what, half a dozen times over the last four years? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. it's been a great, a great professional relationship. Now um, I'm at Sherman and Howard, um, and I'm responsible for learning development for the attorneys for business development, professional development, um, diversity and inclusion, pretty much uh, running the gamut now.
0: Yeah, that's a, you have had a lot of experience over the years, for sure. And I think one of the things that I love about your story is that it's not just so one-dimensional, right? Like you can have kids, you can take off for a couple of years, you can find a different path, you can weave and create something. It doesn't always have to be so straightforward. Like I have to do this, I have to build this many hours. Like if you have other opportunities or if you can take chances, you can get into different places, which I love about your story. I really do. I think it's fantastic. You know, in terms of talking about business development, obviously we've worked together on that before. Like, what do you think is lacking, especially for women in the business development arena that that you're like, I see this being a problem and I really hope that they start working on it.
1: Well, I I am a firm believer that most women entrepreneurs are not charging enough for their services. Amen. And (laughs) I just, it is a... (laughs) and it's the most frustrating thing to witness and see Um, great fantastic uh, you know women who are doing amazing things I've never had to have that conversation with you (laughs) because I think you have a great and healthy relationship with the value that you bring and the money that you charge for your services which is awesome but I can tell you that there are um, women in your space who do what you do who I've worked with at Holland and Heart, um, you know, while I was at Holland and Hart, who I've contracted with, <clears throat> who I've sat down and said, double your prices. You've actually taught to tell them that? Yeah, double your prices. And they, they say, really? And I say, yeah, really. I'm paying other people two and three and four times what you're asking for your services and you're just as good you're just as effective you're bringing just as much value and then they do it and then they come to me and they say oh my god you made such a difference in my business i've you know had so much more revenue and so much more (laughs) yeah i can eat (laughs) exactly and it's not just in this space in the you know in the the consulting um public speaking business development uh, space. Um, my son is autistic and um, you know we have to get services for him in in many different arenas. and we wanted to engage with his uh, behavioral therapists who we worked with at an agency. She left the agency and so I called her just to see if she was you know had her own practice. She did. and she told me her price. <laughs> $50 an hour Are you kidding? Yeah. a master's prepared behavioral therapist who comes to your house.
0: <laughs>
1: did you tell her to raise your prices or not in that instance? I said, double your prices, <laughs> double your prices. And she did now to my chagrin, because now I have to pay her a hundred dollars an hour, <laughs> but it's totally worth it. And that's the value that she's bringing, you know, us again, with his social skills group leader, she was she was like well it's 70 dollars an hour i was like double your prices i i was just working with a consultant in my current position for a class that she did i had never worked with her before so she sent her invoice we paid it she got rave reviews this is someone who had been arranged prior to my getting there but when i talked to her they wanted to do another class i said double your prices (laughs) i think people are going to want to work for you no matter what
0: i don't know you ever telling me that, Erica? I well,
1: because your prices are the market, or <laughs> what the market is bearing. You, you, you're asking for what you're worth. These yeah. are people who are asking for six hundred dollars for, you know, a webinar that takes hours to prepare, and you know, <sighs> uh, drives you crazy. Well, I think that's a really good segue, <laughs> though, because
0: you know, we were—I t- was talking to another. Um, another guest and she was saying that exact same thing like as a woman attorney because there's so many attorneys listening to this podcast that women especially women attorneys won't march into and anybody's office or their boss's office and say you know I think I deserve more than whatever I'm getting paid or if you're like I work with solo practitioners sometimes and they are 10 years out and on their own and they're charging 250 an hour and it's like really really so how do you ask for more? How do you know your own value and your own worth and not be shy to say, "I'm going to go for it because i I had to learn how to do that personally to say, "You know, I'm worth a lot and sorry." <laughs> but how do you get how do you get there?
1: Well, I'll tell you two personal stories about that. So um, in the interim period between um, undergrad and law school, Um, I worked as a hotel appraiser for a now defunct company in New York City. They paid me $26,000 a year. And mind you, I graduated from Cornell University, which is the number one hotel and school and management uh, program in the world. Okay, And (laughs) they had trouble finding a secretary. So they increased their benefits package for the secretary. They hired a secretary. I was chatting with her about, you know, expenses and how hard it is to live in your City. And she was like, yeah, $29,000 a year is just not enough. And I was like, they're paying you what? (laughs) (laughs) They were paying the secretary more than they were paying me. And I was doing the substantive work of the firm. And I went to the HR director and I was like, why is, you know, Jenny getting more money than me? I'm, you know. And she lied to my face. That's unequivocally not true. Oh god. <laughs> so I quit. <laughs> I love it. Um and I was cuz I had been thinking about going to law school and I was like there's no reason not to do it. So right. I quit and I left. Um so I went home to California before I started law school and I was working at a temp agency doing collections for Um, a company who had purchased some debt from a a clinic, or a chain of clinics. And they really liked me and they wanted, you know, to hire me full time. And so, you know, when you become a temp employee and then you convert to a permanent employee, um, the firm that you're working for saves money because they don't have to pay the temp agency anymore so yeah. my boss called me in he's like we're going to make you, you know, full time and we live really like you and that's you know we want you to stay blah 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 and i was like you know if you really like me you should give me a raise good for you <laughs> because i knew they were going to be saving money not having to pay the temp agency anymore and i thought well i should get some of that money that they were going to give to the temp agency. right And he gave me a raise. He gave me like a three dollar an hour raise, which in nineteen ninety-five is a lot of dough. (laughs) Yeah. So where do you think you
0: get like if you were to say talk to a young a young lawyer or a young business person and you had a lot of self-value at a young age, even before you had your law degree, your professional degree, to to say, Oh no, if you're not gonna pay me, I'm out of here and you left. And and you had that kind of you know, that that gumption to do that, that self-worth, that self-value, a lot of people feel that that they're not worth it or that they're going to be told that they're not worth it and they won't ask. So what advice would you have for somebody who might not feel like that confident in themselves like you are?
1: Sure. I I would say my mother, Ethel Lee Bullock, (laughs) (laughs) who was born in the middle of the depression, who raised me and my three brothers on her own, um, who is just a towering example of strength and just an amazing human being used to always, there were, there are certain mantras that she said mm-hmm. to me throughout my entire childhood. One of them was a closed mouth doesn't get fed. And Ooh. what that means is the only thing you're guaranteed to get, if you don't ask is nothing. Yes. The Another that she always said to me was, the worst they can do is say no. Yeah. And if you ask and they say no, guess what? You're in the same position you were before you asked, except you have a little bit more information and you can do with that in- information is power. You can do with that information, whatever you want, right? So you can, right. you can suck it up and stay and make whatever they're paying you, but at least you're making an informed decision, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you have to have choices. And in order to have good choices, you have to have good information. And so ask, you have nothing to lose. And the, the other thing is, and this is something that I've just sort of adopted over time and throughout my career is, <laughs> what would a white man do? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> what would a white man do? I have been in (laughs) professional settings throughout the last 30 years, and I have watched mediocre white men rise to the top in every single setting yeah why Why? they're bold <laughs> they ask forgiveness and not permission they act like they're in charge so people treat them like they're in charge mm-hmm. and that's a key thing that's one of the key messages i give to my daughter i have a 16 year old daughter and i tell her all the time act like you're in charge they people won't question it <laughs> they say oh well she knows what she's doing she, <laughs> she told me to do it so i must and it works like a charm especially on my son <laughs> they're <laughs> twins <laughs> And she treats him like she's yeah, like one of his parents and he's like oh okay and I, I come downstairs and he's taking out the trash it's her trash week I'm like why are you taking out the trash it's Natalie's trash week oh she told me to take it out but you know what that's so like that
0: that is actually so
1: true I love
0: that I, I learned the same kind of thing like act like you're in charge I remember going to um, a bar with my cousin and when I came to this my moved to the States I it was already like 25 or something and he was like 18. And I was just like, walk in, like you own the place. You'll get in, No problem. I, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, did, he was shocked. That, and was, that was before come- they got all strict with
1: carding and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> well, I grew up with three brothers and that's a lesson. It wasn't an explicit lesson that they taught me, but it's one that I gained from watching how they operate and how they yeah. act and behave. And men are just taught that like, well, you deserve to be in charge. You deserve to be out front. You deserve to speak for the group. That's your right. And women are taught to not make waves, to be polite, to don't make, not make trouble. And so for me, it's like whatever setting I'm in, I'm assuming that I'm the smartest one. (laughs) I should be in charge. I should, you know, I should make the decisions because there's no reason why I shouldn't.
0: (laughs) But I think that's the best lesson you could offer. I mean, I really, really think that is the best lesson you can offer sometimes because I was, I was brought up to be kind of subservient. And as are most women. Yeah. And I remember even a few years ago sitting at a board table, boardroom table, and I was the only woman there. And I was sitting with all of these private equity people, like millionaires with airplanes and hangers and all of this, like all the success and wealth. And I'm sitting there going, What am I doing here? Like <laughs> what am I doing here? And then I thought, hold on a second, they're listening to me, and I have something to say. So I'm going to say it. And exactly. it was but it was a whole conversation that was going on in the background that I wonder if, you know, like you're saying, like, these guys even have to t- think about like, we have to have these conversations, these little pep talks for ourselves. And, they, you know,
1: yeah, exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I, I emailed a friend of mine about a job that I saw an opening and I thought she would be perfect for, and she wrote back and she was like, oh, I, I couldn't do that job. I couldn't be the director. And, you know, she's got 10 years of experience in her field. She runs the section at the law firm that she's at, and her current boss has less experience than she does. Yeah, And I was like, why would you think that you couldn't do this job? You right. would be fantastic at this job. Right. And they've done studies that show that women don't apply for positions unless they see that they check every single That's box of right. criteria of the job listing. When men will apply for whatever. Right, a, <laughs> they I'm so the fact that They think, oh, I could do that
0: and they send in their application how hard could it be right. But it's true but here you witnessed it in person live and in person where you know i couldn't do that did she did you end up convincing her to go for it
1: well i i tried i i yeah. you know i cited that study and i said you would be great at it and then yeah. she wrote back and she's like well i'm pretty happy where i am i don't want to waste huh. anyone's time well it's not about <laughs> wasting anyone's time it's about my, another thing my mother says
0: <laughs> but if <laughs> you stay
1: ready you don't have to get ready I'm writing them all down. Oh, she's amazing. (laughs) You know, if you, I'm always looking for a job, even if the job that I'm in is perfect and I'm getting good money and I love my colleagues and everything is fantastic because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm always on the, the Andrew Sullivan job website. I'm always on Indeed just to see what's out there to find out who's hiring, what they're hiring for, what's going on, because you can also run across things that would help somebody that you know. That's true. And that's a big part of business development. It is. <laughs> Which yeah. is being a resource for other people. And when you see something that could be helpful to someone else, you pass it along and they'll remember that, especially if it pans out and it, it you know, if they get a job because it's something that you recommended. So but true. I do it so that I'm, in the note. Like I said, mm-hmm. you have knowledge, you can make informed decisions. I
0: think your mom needs to write a book or you need to put a book together of all her quotes. Cause I've like made a list already. <laughs> I haven't even scratched the surface. Seriously. Oh yeah. We definitely need a book. We're going to, we're going to get her, we're going to get her published.
1: Oh, so much wisdom in such a small package.
0: <laughs> I love it. I agree completely in terms of not like not even applying for the job because you don't think, don't worry about it, just go for it, just do it. I coach women to that all all the time.
1: Right, because you're gonna meet someone who's in a in a decision-making position right. at a different company. That's and right. that can become an asset for you down the line.
0: That's right, so don't shy away from any opportunity, even if you don't get it, who cares? You're, you, you have to go after it anyway. Exactly, because, because the next opportunity might be the one for you. Or they may remember you and call you back, because that's happened also. I've seen that happen many times. Absolutely. I've seen that happen many times. So when we were, okay, so I was, uh, we were talking about this before the show, but when I was at with you, Probably I did. You have three years.
1: Yeah, ago. I had just <laughs> come in
0: and it was, you were having a diversity and inclusion speaker. Mm-hmm. And this is when I kind of fell hard for you. <laughs> because <laughs> I loved how you reacted. I loved your strength and how you reacted to the situation because you were ticked off. You were pissed.
1: My my friend calls it (laughs) impissorated. You are (laughs) impissorated. Can you share the story of what
0: happened? Because I just thought it would make such a great uh, great story and great lesson also.
1: Sure. Um, So there was a speaker, um, the title of his presentation was Incognito. Um, So he is a Caucasian presenting man who was raised uh, as a white man. And uh, when he was an adult, like in his 30s or 40s, he found out that his father was black, and so it shifted his whole perspective on life and race relations, et cetera. So the first sort of three quarters of the presentation was his life story, and the last quarter was, you know, discussion of the importance of diversity and inclusion and all those issues. And so the <laughs> the presentation was done in a uh, video conference. Format And so we were in the Denver office, which is the headquarters of the firm. And the conference room we were in, we were, there were probably 25 of us in the large conference room, and there was a wall of monitors, probably 20 monitors. Um, and in each monitor is the conference room of the other offices listening to the presentation. So they're at their conference table, looking at the monitor of the speaker, but there's a camera. <laughs> at the bottom of every monitor yeah so while the conference the speaker is being projected into the conference room of every office the camera is recording the people sitting at the conference room table and projecting it to the members of the firm who are sitting in the denver office so when the speaker started talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion, and understanding and implicit bias and those things. A partner in the uh, Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska office, who was You don't in- have to get into that much detail. You <laughs> well, <out. laughs> uh, hey, truth is a complete defense. <laughs> and I'm just laying out the facts, <laughs> okay? Um, so I won't say his name. Um, but he looks at the camera and flips the bird to the speaker gasps throughout the room <laughs> in the Denver office, because we are the only ones who saw what he did. The speaker has his back to the monitor right. oh, and it's speaking to us. Yeah. We're looking at him and behind him is a, you know, a 20 by 30 projection of a partner, a leader in the firm. Flipping a bird at the speaker for the message that he's presenting. So I was hot. I, 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 you (laughs) were beyond. You were
0: whatever comes after hot (laughs) is what you were. (laughs) You know I. And rightfully so. Rightfully so.
1: You know you're entitled to whatever your feelings and emotions are. You know I'm not here to police your heart or your thoughts. I am, however, entitled to a non-hostile work environment. Mm-hmm. And when you flip the bird, which is an obscene gesture at a speaker who is speaking about the importance of diversity and inclusion, theres it's inexcusable, especially when you're a leader in the organization. So directly after that presentation, you and I had a, <laughs> an engagement schedule for you to do a presentation to the attorneys. And I don't remember what what you were, Um, planning to speak on but I was I was exorcised and I was like I have to contact human resources yeah recount to them what has happened because this needs to be addressed it can be swept under the rug we can't pretend like it didn't happen that's exactly right say you know well it doesn't matter because it matters so I was one of several people who complained to human resources and so um I guess you know word got back to him and he sent a firm wide email lying, <laughs> pretending that he was flipping the bird at the person he was in the conference room with because they were having a separate conversation. Number one, he wasn't speaking, he wasn't engaged yeah, in a conversation yeah. with the other person. Right. He looked directly at the camera Amazing. and made his obscene gesture. Yeah. So, it, you know, it was just clear that he was trying to make excuses. So I I responded to him and I open copied the head of the firm. Good for you. <clears throat> saying, you know, I was in the room. I saw you and I know what you did. So I choose to believe my eyes versus your lies. Ooh. God, there are so many like little moments here.
0: Believe my <laughs> eyes versus your lies.
1: And and you know, of course he didn't respond, but I felt I had to say, you know, I see you you know, maybe other people are going to right. pretend like what you're saying is true and excuse your behavior. I am not, but that, I think I, I that's refuse, refuse to be a co-conspirator in your lies.
0: That's what really gets under my skin. And it's not just in that situation, but there's plenty of situations where little things like that have come out in that it gets swept under the rug because this is a partner maybe that brings in a lot of income. So, you know, we're just going to let it go. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to say that was, you know, shame on you, bad behavior. We're not going to do anything to reform that behavior. We're just going to sweep it under the rug. And that completely is counter to the whole purpose of having these (laughs) kinds of
1: trainings. Exactly. Exactly, the training is a band-aid. It's the action of the the entity that makes the difference.
0: Do you think that it actually is starting to make any difference in any of the organizations that you've worked in, in terms of any of it? I mean, I think it's such a, honestly, like I'm finding it to be like this buzzword band-aid, right? Oh, we're just gonna do more diversity and inclusion. Oh, we're gonna do more bias training. And it's like, yeah, but if you're not changing, really changing behavior from the top down, is it just more 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 band-aids on top of a huge wound
1: well i think um, i think there are changes starting to happen
0: yeah
1: um, and you know my firm right now sherman howard i think is a great example of of how they're taking the issues seriously and looking to make actual changes that will impact the ranks of the attorneys the partnership eventually, in the leadership, ultimately. And one of the things they're looking at is workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's a huge, huge consequential uh, topic for a law firm. So uh, I'm sure most of the people who listen to this podcast know and understand how it works. But for those who don't, um, the clients are... Um, folks who have relationships with the partners in the firm. And so the partner will have a relationship with someone who's general counsel at let's say Pepsi company Mm -hmm. and Pepsi wants to purchase a new building in Washington or whatever. And so they'll call up the partner and say, Hey, I got this transaction coming up. I need some help with it. So they'll sign an engagement letter and start to do the work on the transaction. And so the partner will probably need help completing all the work. And so it's up to that one person decide who they want to work with to complete that work Uh and that key decision right there when that partner looks at the ranks of the associates to say i'm going to work with erica on this one and they call erica and i go to the office and i sit in the office and they say okay this is the deal this is the client this is the seller The, the you know i want you to do x y and z right and so if i do a good job on that pepsi deal or whatever Then that partner is going to say, "Oh yeah, I can rely on her. I can depend on her." And when the next deal comes in, he'll call me without thinking about it. Right, right. But (laughs) usually, you pick the people with whom you have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, human nature is such that you have relationships with people who look like you, who went to the school you went to, do the things that you do. That's right. And because the vast majority of people in those decision-making positions are Mm -hmm. white men. The people that they first think to call are the white men. Shocking. (laughs) Shocking. So the women, the people of color, the LGBTQ folks, they get cut out of the loop. Right. Or, and and I just had a a great conversation with my mentor, um, who's uh, chair emeritus of a major law firm, 4,000 attorney firm, um, who has an incredible grasp of race relations and race issues and, and equity. Um, he said to me, this is a 74-year-old white man, <laughs> by the way. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, he's got a yeah. master's degree in African studies. He, he, he's amazing. Um, great. He said to me, the white men in the law firm setting and the white men get three strikes. White women get two. People of color, Get one. Uh, Meaning, if that partner who called me to work on that Pepsi deal, if I miss a point, if I make a mistake, if I do something wrong, he will never call me again. Meaning, I am excluded from all of his clients and all of the work and all of the opportunities that come his way in his practice. I will never get another chance to get in on any of that work. Wow. Whereas, if it's a white man who makes that mistake, right? Instead of calling them out, they'll call him in. Hey, Bill, I noticed you had a problem with, you know, the pledge agreement in this deal. What you really want to look out for next time is ABCD. Right. 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 And so you get two more chances after that. Right. right. Bill gets two more chances after that. But I'm I'm out in the cold. And so the next year, when everybody in my class is getting the more advanced assignments because they have the foundation of those other assignments. I don't have that. I'm still trying to gather the basic skills of a first year as a second and it compounds upon itself, Ah. and by the time you're in the third or fourth year, you're out of there. Oh, Ah. well, you know, your billable hours, they're just not up to snuff. They're not up to snuff. You're not bringing in originations. This is a completely unbiased decision based solely on your performance, right? Amazing. Which is true to a degree, but what's what are the underlying factors there? What's happening to put me in that position? And so for law firms particularly, unlatching the unconscious bias of the partners in choosing where the work flows is key to making a, an egalitarian system where everyone has three strikes. Everyone has a chance to move up. Right. Everyone gets access to the good work. And so that's where we're looking to make changes in our that's
0: i that's really interesting i haven't actually heard like i haven't heard it explained like that before it's always been this gigantic you know word but really not
1: practically like how do we do this practically so that's helpful that's the key because if if at review time everybody in the class got three mergers to work on Got three, you know, asset purchase agreements to work on. Got right. two, you know, whatever. Then we can look at the quality of the work and how right. they performed and right. what, you know, what were the intervening, superseding factors, as they like to say. In the <laughs> That's very, cor- <laughs> very corporate speak, there, Erica.
0: Okay, so we're we're actually coming up on time, and I have um, at the end of our podcast, I always like to do two pieces of advice in two minutes. OK, so I'm going to challenge you for for what what two pieces of advice can you impart upon our listeners and keep in mind that they're in all stages of their careers. Like we have listeners that are looking at retirement and we have you know, new associates coming on board and law students too, like every, and everything in between all over the world. So what what two pieces of advice would you give?
1: Uh, the first for all women, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing is know your worth you know, gather the information, uh, figure out who your colleagues are, what they're making, how much they're making, how much they're working, who they're working for, how they're getting their assignments, you know, yeah. and try to, and insinuate yourself into those situations so you can get some of that goodness too. So some of that, you know, some of that mentoring, some of that advice, some of that, um, that help can rub off on you.
0: Yeah, somebody said the other day, sharpen your elbows and um, get them in, get yes. elbow your way in.
1: Yes, as women, we have to stand tall and ask for what we want and what we need because nobody's gonna do it for us. So know your worth, you are worth it. You can you can do it, you're worth it and you should be getting just as much as the person sitting next to you. Yes. No question. No questions asked. Um, so that would be my first piece of advice uh, my second piece of advice. Um, that's okay. If you'll, me I mean, that one is that one gave me goosebumps.
0: Like I'm so motivated now. Like I want to take on the world. <laughs> Like, I swear to God, like I could just stand on a chair and like start screaming, I'm worth it. I'm worth it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I think we
0: can just stick with one because that was pretty powerful. Well, I guess, I guess
1: the other one would be to take a chance on yourself. Like if you're, if you're in a situation and you find out that you're being undervalued or, um, or abused or not treated fairly, um, sometimes you got to step out on faith, you know, and, and move on, um, because, there are, there are people out there who will treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. So definitely take a chance on yourself because you're I worth it. I
0: love it. Take a chance on yourself because you're worth it and know you're worth. Erica Bullock-Jones, this has been amazing. I am like, I swear, I'm on fire right now. Thank you so much for, for speaking with us today. Of course, it was my pleasure. Yes, and for our listeners, you can go to our uh, our website at hergavel.com for show notes and more information about Erica. Thanks Erica.
1: You're welcome. Take
0: care. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Her Gavel. Make sure to subscribe and rate us. For our show notes and information on upcoming episodes, visit our website at hergavel.com. And if you'd like more information about coaching, training, or any of my books, please send email to stephanie@hergavel.com. at hergavel.com. Be sure to stay tuned for our next episode of Her Gavel, where we will continue to shadow the glass ceiling for women in law.